young Mary and old Elizabeth. We eavesdrop today on young Mary and old Elizabeth, two pregnant women, two very unlikely pregnant women. And we don't find them talking about the kinds of things that pregnant women usually talk about. Ever since the book What to Expect When You're Expecting was published, long after Mary and Elizabeth, usually when pregnant moms get together, they talk about the size of their babies, right? Well, my baby is the size of a watermelon. That's a big one. My baby's only the size of a pea today. My baby's the size of a blueberry. My baby's the size of you fill in the blank. That book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, and other books like it, have kind of taken over the minds of most moms, and so those are the things that pregnant moms talk about. That and how uncomfortable they are, right? That and how uncomfortable they are and how sick they are, those are the things that pregnant moms, God bless them, God bless the mothers, those are the things that are in the minds of most pregnant moms. But this morning, as we listen in on Mary and Elizabeth, we hear a very different conversation, don't we? There's no mention of fruit, There's no mention of morning sickness. There's no mention even of how far along they are. There's no mention of whether Joseph is getting the nursery room ready. There's no mention about the birth plans. There's no mention about whether or not to have an epidural. There's no mention about what kind of a gender reveal party there's going to be. There's no mention of all the things that we would expect pregnant moms to talk about. There's something much better. There's something much better. Today we eavesdrop on Mary and Elizabeth, and what we find them discussing is the very thing that brings us joy. Now, usually pregnant moms are full of joy. Oh, yes, there's the morning sickness. Yes, there's the uncomfortability. Yes, there's all the fears about how much this is all going to cost. That's usually what the dads focus on, right? The cost of the babies. But Elizabeth and Mary show us the real joy of their pregnancy. For Elizabeth and Mary, and us, by listening in on them this morning, speak of the hope not just of a pregnant mother, not just the fears of a pregnant mother, but they speak of the hopes and the fears, as the Christmas carol puts it, of all the years. Mary, pregnant Mary, completely unexpected and completely unplanned Mary. And Elizabeth, pregnant Elizabeth, also completely unexpected and completely unplanned, speak of the joy of all the years. The hopes and fears of all the years are carried by that woman that we call blessed, the blessed Virgin Mary, the very mother of God. And today, we get to listen in on them. Now, our culture doesn't really value pregnancy much, does it? It's a thing to be endured. In many cases, it's a thing to be avoided. Why would you want to have a baby in our world? Don't you know the carbon footprint of a child? Don't you know how expensive it's going to be? Don't you know? Don't you know, Mary and Elizabeth, how hard your life is going to be? All the sleep you're going to lose, all the things that you could do by yourself, all the vacations you could take, but now you're going to have to take care of a baby. They knew all of that, but that didn't stop them from rejoicing, for they are pregnant. They are pregnant with the very hopes of all the world. And so we have to catch a little bit of that joy this morning. We have to catch a little bit of the joy of Elizabeth and Mary as they talk, and not just the joy of Elizabeth and Mary, but we can take a lesson. We can take a lesson from a very unexpected person, John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is there too, in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. John the Baptist, only six months along, John the Baptist, whose heart is being knit together there in his mother's womb, whose mind is still being formed, whose organs are still all being put in place, yet John the Baptist is already teaching us, even before his birth, he's already teaching us. That is, if we'll take the lesson. See, we don't value pregnancy, and we certainly don't value the unborn, at least not much. Now, we might speak differently here in this place, but I mean the world around us. What good is a six-month-old fetus? I mean, even just calling it a fetus, even just calling it an it, is a downgrade on this miracle of God, this little child. And so this morning, we have to humble ourselves. We have to put aside all those other thoughts about who we are and how much we know, and we have to learn from a little unborn person. And make no mistake, he is a person, already there in his mother's womb, John. Already there in his mother's womb, little John is teaching us, teaching us how to think and how to live and how to behave in the presence of our Savior. How did it go? As soon as Mary's voice touched the ears of Elizabeth, little John started leaping. Now, this is another thing that pregnant moms talk about, isn't it? Pregnant moms talk about the flutters. They talk about the movements of the baby. Sometimes they say, this kid is moving around way too much. And sometimes they say just the opposite. I wish I could feel the baby moving even more. But Elizabeth knows that the movement of that little child in her womb is more than just the natural kind of movements. As soon as the voice of your greeting came into my ears, my baby leapt for joy. Little John shows us how to live in the presence of our Savior. He is teaching us how we ought to worship. And what he teaches us is that worship is to be a joyful thing. It is to be the kind of thing that you leap for. It is the kind of thing that you skip for. That's how you could translate that word also. John skipped in his mother's womb. And in doing that, John is very much like King David long before him. You remember the story, don't you, about when King David took the city of Jerusalem and brought in the Ark of the Lord? The Ark was the very throne of God. It was the, hit, the revealed throne of the hidden God. And when that Ark was being brought into Jerusalem, remember what David did? Instead of dressing up in all of his royal robes, instead of putting on his crown and wearing his best sword, King David put on an ephod which doesn't mean much to us, does it? But if you look at my acolyte this morning, you'll see what an ephod looked like, a plain white robe. It was the kind of thing that the priests wore, you know, the kind of things you wouldn't want to be caught dead wearing. Well, David put it on. He took off his royal robes full of power, full of majesty, and he put on the humble ephod. And as the Lord's throne was brought into the city of Jerusalem, David danced, we're told. He danced with all his might. He leapt like John the Baptist in his mother's womb. And his wife thought that was, you know, really bad. What kind of a king are you dancing around before the Lord? What kind of a king are you not wearing your powerful garments? What kind of a king puts on an ephod and is so full of joy at the presence of the Lord? The same kind of king who bows before the Lord is filled with joy before the Lord. 
And what John, little John, teaches us in his mother's womb is that this is our privilege as Christians who come into the presence of the Lord. For still in this place, our Lord comes to us. Who are we that the Lord should come to us? Just like who is Elizabeth that the mother of her Lord should come and visit her? Who are we that God should value us so highly? Who are we that he should feed us his very body and his blood? Who are we that he should cause his word to come to us, poor sinners that we are? Do any of you deserve to have God come and be gracious to you? Let's take a poll. Do any of you deserve it? Of course not. And yet our Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And because of that, He comes to us again and again in this place. He causes his voice to resound in our ears. He causes his body and his blood to be given out to us. And the reaction to that is simple, joy. The joy of John is to fill each of you this morning in this place. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I wanted to skip when I came into this place this morning. I wanted to jump up. But that would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? And so we have to contain ourselves, we have to compose ourselves, we have to sit as good Lutherans ought to sit. We rise at just the right time and we sit at just the right time and that's all good and well. But make no mistake, our hearts should thrill like little John in his mother's womb for still our Lord, still our Lord Jesus comes to us lowly as we are and gives us his very self. That's what we learn from little John if we're willing to take the lesson. We learn the joy of worship. That it is not some dreary, awful thing to come into this place on Sunday morning. It is not some kind of awful, terrible thing. I once talked to a a Roman Catholic guy, and I asked him about the sacrifice of the Mass. And he said, what's the sacrifice, Pastor, that I have to go to church? (laughs) It's no losing out to come into this place. It is rather the very purpose of our lives. To come into the presence of the Lord and to have him come to us, we ought to skip a little bit. We ought to jump a little bit. We ought to leap up out of our seats if our knees are strong enough, if our quads can handle it. We ought to stand with joy in our hearts, for still our Lord is gracious to us. That's what we learn from little John. But we also learn from Mary. Listen again to the lullaby of the mother of God. Mary's lullaby, that Magnificat, my soul exalts in the Lord, I rejoice in God my Savior. Mary's song teaches us just what to expect from her son. Now, some of you have sung lullabies in your life. The lullaby that Mary sings is a very different lullaby than most mothers, right? Most mothers sing soft gentle lullabies. I know one mom who uh, didn't know any lullabies, so she sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's a good lullaby. You know, really, it is. But Mary's lullaby is very different. In the hymn that we just sang, we said that she was the mother kind, right? She was very kind. And often in the artistic depictions of Christmas, you get this great gentle picture of Mary And Jesus, I went to the uh, post office the other day. They're all out of those. I wanted a stamp with Mary and Jesus. But usually that's the picture, right? Gentle Mary, kind Mary. But listen again to the song of Mary and you get a very different picture. She sings of power. She sings of might. She sings about the Lord doing great things, not soft, gentle things. She sings about the rich being sent away empty. 
She sings about power. That's the first theme of her song. The mighty one has done great things for me. He has shown strength with his right arm. He has scattered the proud. He has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry. He has sent the rich away empty. He has seized his people Israel. That word gets translated helped, as if Mary was singing of God just kind of gently coming to us to help us but it has much more of a force. It means this. It means God has come to us and grabbed us by the arm. He's seized hold of us to never let go again. That's what Mary sings about. She sings about power. But she also weaves another theme into her lullaby. She doesn't just paint the walls of Jesus' room with words of power. She sings also of mercy. The only word that gets repeated in Mary's song is this one word, mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has seized his people Israel just like he promised our fathers to have mercy on us. See, our Lord is both the powerful one, the mighty one, the almighty one who seizes hold of his people, but he is also the merciful one. God is not 50% power and 50% mercy. He's 100% both. And he wants to make known his power by having mercy on his people. Just think, just think of what it would mean if God was all power and no mercy. It would mean terrible things, wouldn't it? It would mean terrifying things if we came to this place just expecting a show of power. If God came to us with his power, with his might, with his authority, with his strength, we should run away afraid. But God combines his power with his mercy. And see, the opposite would be just as bad. If God was all mercy but no power, he would be like that one friend that we all have who we go to when times are tough and who kind of is a soft shoulder to cry on. Oh, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry that you got that diagnosis. I'm so sorry that that happened. I wish I could do something for you, but I don't have the power. Thank God that we hear Mary singing this morning of God's power and his mercy that we do not serve a lame God who has no authority, but we also do not serve a merciless God. No, our service is actually chock full of that little word, mercy. Throughout the service from beginning to end, we speak of God's mercy. O most merciful God, O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, have mercy. O Lord, have mercy. And again and again, our God shows his power where he has his mercy. A lot of people talk about wishing that God would show his power, don't they? But they neglect to look where he has mercy. And so in the world around us, people have a sense that everything is out of control, that God should do something about all of this, but they overlook the place that God is doing something about all the problems of the world. They want God to cause some kind of wonderful revival in our world politically, but they neglect where God makes his power known in the Holy Church. It is here in this place that God's power is made known among you. And that power is made known not by exalting some king to a place of high estate, but by exalting you, the lowly. God's power is made known by having mercy on his people. His power is made clear in having his word of forgiveness proclaimed in your ears this morning. So don't be mistaken. Don't go out from this place saying, I wish God would do something about all the problems of the world. I wish God would do something about all the problems of my life. Look how he has come to you again this morning. For just as he seized hold of us when he took 
the flesh from the womb of the Virgin Mary, still our Lord Jesus takes hold of us here in this place. He takes hold of us again and again in the means of grace. He delivers us his powerful mercy, which cleanses us from sin. That's the joy that Mary sang of to her cousin Elizabeth. That's the joy that we sing of when we come into this place. That a great revolution has taken place, but it's not the kind of revolution that the world looks for. It's not the kind of revolution that takes place in the halls of power. It's the kind of revolution that takes place when the word of God is heard by you, the people of God. Mary sang of a great reversal, didn't she? the exalted ones being cast down and the lowly ones being lifted up. Where does that happen? Where does that still happen? It happens here with you. You who are lowly in your sins, you who are weak in and of yourselves, are made strong by the right hand of the Lord. For our Lord Jesus still causes his reversal, his great reversal to take place when he takes your sins and gives you his righteousness, when he takes your shame and covers you with his robe of glory. Make no mistake, when we listen in on Mary and Elizabeth, we aren't just listening in on the private thoughts and the private hopes and the private dreams of these two unexpectedly pregnant women. We are listening in on the hopes and fears of all the years that are hidden in their wombs. So leap for joy with little John this morning. Sing, for, sing of the power of your heavenly Father and sing also of the mercy the mercy that his son, Jesus Christ, still causes to be made known to you. In Jesus' name, amen.